Yeah. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Common Sense Podcast. I'm laughing because. I'm looking at <laughs> I'm looking at Antonia and she is struggling on the front seat or in the front seat of the struggle bus this morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's early. <laughs> it is early. It is early. Uh for those who are tuning in for the first time, my name is Patrick and I teach 5th grade here in DC. And I'm Antonia. I teach kindergarten outside of Houston, Texas. Yes, and we are just two teachers who want to have more conversations about education in an unfiltered kind of way. Um, And so we're glad that you're listening in and joining us for this. Uh, You have any good news this week? Yes. I go back to work next week. (laughs) I'm glad you see that Uh... good news. It is good news. I'm excited for another set of kindergartners. Um, And I'm finishing my second to last semester of grad school this Friday. So. Wow. No. Now that really is good news. That's awesome. Almost done. Almost done. And when do you graduate? December. Wow. We're going to have to turn up for that. Yes. And you're going to get your PhD? If somebody will pay for it. <laughs> no unfunded. Um, not taking anything unfunded. Twitter has taught me not to do that. Yeah, especially this week. Absolutely. Um, this week, I definitely want to give a shout out to a teacher here in Arlington um, Public Schools. His name is uh, Anthony Hyman. And I got a chance to visit... Um, a summer program that he's coordinating out in Northern Virginia. And it is a literacy camp for students of color in the district. And I got a chance to visit and see the cool things that they're doing. And I've never heard of a camp that is surrounded around reading, period. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. yeah, camp, right? Like camps are supposed to be like, quote unquote, fun. And reading is not fun to a lot of kids um, and to a lot of adults even. And so to see that there was a camp that was centered around reading um, and reading for pleasure, but it was also a camp for students of color. So the books that were chosen and selected for the students to choose from um, were novels that... um, best represented who was in the room. It, it it really was just inspiring to see students excited about reading, especially black and brown students. Like I was just like in awe. And I think that we ought to do more summer enrichment programs surrounded around reading in a mm, way that yeah. gets students like excited about reading and exciting excited about wanting to read uh uh in the uh 
in the fall when school actually begins. So now my question is, I hope that um, my question is, how can they, you know, continue that momentum um, into the fall? But I thought it was a phenomenal program. And I was very grateful to be able to sit in the presence of those brilliant children. So thank you, Anthony, for um, letting me come and see your kids and your program this uh, summer. Do you know if it was open just to children where it was or if it was like open for the community? Um, I think it was um, just open to students in the district. So students who oh, were okay. of, um, students of color who were um, a part of Arlington Public Schools. But I would love to see what it could become if it was to be a community program. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what would happen if the city of Arlington... Um, invested in right i think that that would be so cool um so shout out to you i also want to shout out everybody on instagram who gave us so much love when we dropped our um our little graphic yes that was so cool to get so many messages and retweets and uh comments of encouragement for this podcast like we thought about this podcast for months is has it been months has it been months? We're just as excited as they are. Yeah, like, you, you know, we're just really excited to release it and, you know, get you guys' feedback and, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, continue talking and ranting and doing the things that we know how to do. So shout out to you guys. Thank you, guys. So this topic this week <laughs> is something that is... <laughs> near and dear to my heart as a black male teacher who teaches black male students. We're talking about behavior management this week, guys. Because we know you're getting ready to start school. And we know that most schools are going to tell you, you can't do any teaching till you... Get your routines and your procedures and your behavior management on lock. If it's not on lock, maybe they don't talk like that at your school. But if it's not on lock, <laughs> then you can't even I'll teach struggle. nothing, you know. Um, what are your earliest experiences with behavior management? I remember the red, yellow, green cards in elementary. And I want to say it was kindergarten. Mm -hmm. There was a pocket chart. It's like the calendar pocket chart. Um, But it was used for that. And we all had three cards and everyone started the day on green. And based on what you did, (laughs) you could either move to yellow or you could move to red. And I don't know if we had the ability to move back to green or if we were stuck there or what. Um, But I do recall having several meltdowns that few times that I did have to change from green to yellow uh, because I was a good student early on. Uh, I enjoyed doing what my teacher asked and thrived on the rewards I got in elementary. Ooh, like what? There was candy and erasers and toys. I remember, I I remember getting them because like there wasn't a lot of money at home. And so getting them at school, it, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that's my earliest memory. What's yours? I actually don't remember any type of like behavior management system in elementary school at all. I was trying to think about it. Um, 
I went to Kennedy Elementary School in Southfield, Michigan. And I just remember, like, I don't know. I just remember, I don't, I, I'm really trying to think. Like, I don't remember any type of cards. I don't remember any type of clips. The the, the, the uh, one memory that I do have is that in third grade, we had celebration binders. And every week, we got um, awards, like superlatives, you know, that you give out at the end of the year. Yeah. But we got yeah. them every week. And then, That's a lot. Right? And then by the end of the year, by the end of the year, you had this, like, huge binder of, like, things that you did well. So I appreciated that. And then at the end of every week, we also had a celebration party, like a celebration binder. I'm sorry, uh, a, a celebration, uh, like, celebration, like, this the big ordeal. So like every Friday, every yeah, week. every week it would be like a movie, like strawberry shortcake making or like cookie parties or like something like that. It was just like lots of rewards. I also remember like teachers doing this thing where like they put a word on the wall and then like, y- you know, like they yep. erase a letter each day if you keep talking while they talk. <laughs> oh, I'm erasing the end, right? So... I remember things like that, but I don't remember like a an intricate system where every child was being like tracked, kind of like we do now. Like I just remember it was like whole class behavior systems that used to frustrate me because I'm like, well, if he's talking, like, why do I have to get in trouble for him? You know. Um, Mm -hmm. But those are like the only things that I can remember, I don't remember behavior being like a huge deal. I just remember. And by huge deal, I mean enough to create like a system behind it. I just remember teachers um, who were like older to me um, being comfortable enough to nip things in the bud, almost as if a parent would. Yeah. I remember lots of treasure boxes. My second great teacher who looped with us to third um, and who's actually why I decided to become a teacher had this big green treasure box that she would leave um, on the floor by her rocking chair. And if you had enough points on Fridays, you could go pick something out of the the treasure box. Um, and of course, we know it's the same kids over and over who get to choose things, right? Um that experience is why I don't have a treasure box. So it's no, too expensive yeah. anyway for me. Like it, it is. Who is funding this? I, but clearly, they want us to do it. Like they want us to do everything, and eventually, like I ain't the got toys it. get stale. The kids are like, "Do you have anything else?" Like it's it's not a sustainable <laughs> practice, and I just was over it after a while. Like. Yeah. It's it's a no for me. It's a no for, for me. And I think... You have to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that many of you are going to start your year off with creating classroom rules. And if you're a, a social justice warrior, you might say something like classroom norms or like, you know, or like <laughs> things to live by or community expectations or... Classroom agreements, agreement, classroom contracts, classroom (laughs) promise, classroom constitution, you know, all those things. (laughs) How do you go about creating those um, classroom norms or how have you 
um, done that. So my first year, and I, it, there was a course I took in undergrad, classroom management, where we kind of what? went through the major theorist. You're lying. Yes. You took a classroom management class in nope. undergrad? Yes, they did told you not? Us, okay, maybe because I, I didn't finish the program. <laughs> but they told us in uh, the four-year program, because for those of you who don't know, Michigan State, number one for elementary education for the last 20-something odd years. <laughs> like, there's a fifth year after you graduate, and that's when you do your student teaching. But the four years, you're doing, like, a practicum, but it's like you're you're only in the classroom, like, 20 hours a week. But there's no behavior management, like, classes, period. And they told us that we can't take them until you're in the internship year or the student teaching year. So I didn't know anything about behavior management um, besides like the typical behavior theorist. Um, and that was my freshman year before we were even talking about pedagogy. So I just think it's interesting that you took a behavior management course. Okay, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so yeah, I, I took a behavior management course and I still have the interactive notebook that we were required to make. Wow, that's um, cute. Yeah. So reflecting on it, it's just a bunch of old white men telling us how to manage children. But it was nice to to learn about all the major theorists, I guess. So going in to student teaching, because I took it before student teaching, going into student teaching, I could kind of pinpoint practices and assign them to where it might have originated from. Um, and so something that I was fond of were classroom agreements and co-creating those with children. In the past, I've typically had what I wanted them to get at. Um, so like keeping your hands and your feet to yourself, which seems to be a learning process for little ones. Um, they're, they're so vague. And like, as I've grown, I kind of realized that they become super vague, like be respectful. Like how do you, what is be respectful or what is be kind? Like those are vague and left to interpretation. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Try your best share. Um, So really vague things. And I'm kind of moving away from that. So this year when I go in, goodness, I get kids in two weeks. Um, (laughs) When I go in, (laughs) When I go in, I kind of just want to ask them, like, what they want our classroom to be like, because children are aware of how they want to be treated. And the best way to do that, like, they have ideas and we just need to pull them out of them and have them share them with us. Because a lot of the times I'm finding that when I just ask a child a question about, like, their their choices or what they're doing, they know exactly what they should be doing or what would be the safest option but they're not always what's the word uh oh my goodness I'm drawing a blank I don't know I'll come back to it um but kids know what they need right so trusting that and drawing off of what they share with me because I mean it'll always come back to no, no one hitting you someone being kind asking to use their things like it always circles back to that with young children but allowing them to share that versus me saying, these are the rules for our classroom. We need to abide by them. You know, I think so. when I think about classroom rules, I definitely agree with you 
and the fact that children have a sense of what they want out of school, what they want out of your classroom and how they want to feel like throughout the year. And we have to give them the space to make their own rules. Um, because when we make the rules for them or we create a draft without their like approval, we're essentially telling them that input. Yeah. what you say is not as important as what I think um, as your teacher, because I know what's best for you. Um, and they are children. They are growing. But in a sense, like we have to give kids more credit. Um, before I, I even think about classroom rules, I, I struggle with this term like behavior management and like what that actually means. Um, I think in my like personal definition, I think that quote unquote, well, <laughs> behavior management to me is just a set of like agreements or values or whatever that help to keep the class moving. Like, I don't like to think about um, managing. No, and it's not typical. And I think for me, it's just like, uh, like behavior management to me is not be kind. It's not like be respectful, because to me, that's kind of getting into like conflict management. Like, I think that like, and yeah, those two are se- those two are separate. I think that behavior management to me are just like the things that you do as a class, as a teacher, as a student that helps get through the lesson, the objective, the objectives with everyone involved. So um, when I think about uh, attention getters, I think that I think of that as classroom management. When I think of like centers or um um, like how we line up or all those things like that to me is classroom management, like accountable talk. That's classroom management to me. Like, I don't like things that are like trying to, um, teach children character and all that stuff. Like, I don't necessarily see that as behavior management. I see that as something completely different. So what would you label that? Label what? Like be kind. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe like character development, which is like infused in everything that you do. But like, if I like, if a student is not being kind to me, I wouldn't see that as like behavior management. Like, I see that as something else. I don't know. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's 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 outside of the norm. Like, it makes sense, but that's outside of the norm because we're so most of us are so quick to try to control their every action and their response right. to things. And when I think of like children who are growing up to be their own individual selves, like, right. Like I don't want to create a class of robots. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so that's why I'm kind of like weary of this classroom management term, because the more rules that you create, the more of a quote-unquote ideal child that you're trying to form um, and you're expecting all children to do like certain things and I just get weird yeah like that makes me that makes my skin crawl like (laughs) to a certain degree I don't know if that really makes sense like for those of you who are tuning in like 
you know, we're just having a conversation. I'm not an expert. I'm just a fourth year teacher who is like trying to make a better understanding of the world. But like black kids especially are policed so much. <laughs> like, and I don't want my classroom to be a space where they can't like be themselves where they can't make mistakes where they can't define like what things should be for themselves and for their friends or for our class like i i think autonomy is our greatest strength in in education it's our greatest strength but we don't utilize oh, yeah. it yeah we're, we're afraid terrified. of it we're terrified <laughs> of autonomy mm-hmm. when you when you said that it it reminds you of like policing black children it made me think of my first year I was in um, a large, very large district in Houston. And we were required to attend this like three-day PD session. And one of the sessions was about classroom management. And all they showed us were PD videos from a large (laughs) charter network on the East Coast. Mm. Um, I don't even... (laughs) I, I kind like I have a glimpse of the name, but I don't entirely remember which school it was. But they even managed the children down to their movement from station to station like you need to go all the way down this row of desks you need to turn this way you need to turn this way and I it just like they looked like little robots and I just could not imagine being in a a classroom full of six and seven year olds where I'm I I decided every movement like where is joy in that well you know I started in a charter network that was my first year of teaching first and last year in the charter no shade to the charters out there but you know, we were attempting to model our school in every way, shape, or form after a large charter management organization on the East Coast, um, who I'm not going to say, but, you know, many people are still reading his nope. book. <laughs> um, but can you believe that we oh, spent time like <laughs> practicing how to walk kids in line or <laughs> like, like, like in our like three week PD before school started that. And like, um, every time they, uh, uh, transition from station, they had to be like clapping to the song because you wanted to know where their hands were. Wow. And like, it was like, like, you know, dollar position, uh, slant, all those things were like, a uh, Slant. slant. Oh my goodness, slant. I don't even Who sit that way that in way meetings. Naturally? If you're still using slant, I really want you to think critically about that. And think about why exactly do you want kids to sit down at a desk with their hands folded? What is the real reason behind that? Do you sit Do you sit at a desk with your hands folded? Is that how you reset yourself? Like when I was a second grade teacher, like we were taught that if you if the class is out of control, then you want to bring everybody down to a scholar position, which was back straight, feet on the floor, hands folded, head straight, and like no smiling. It it was just like you better be serious about what it is that we're doing. And then once everybody's there in scholar position, then you can quietly pick up your pencil and, you know, do those things. And so yeah, doesn't it sound position. crazy? 
and before and before you know it, we had these consultants come in who did the um I don't know if I ever told you this at the in the ear training, the uh the real time coaching. No. Oh well, they put like a a microphone in your ear, and then they stand in the back of your classroom, <clears throat> and they were piloting this program, and they put a uh uh a uh, a microphone in my um ear, and then she talked through a walkie talkie from the back. This consultant lady. And she coached my behavior management um, for the entire session. And while I was teaching, she was like, state your directions again. Oh, oh. Student to the right has his feet in the chair. Give him a consequence. <laughs> um, student, student in the back is talking. Student to the right is talking. Give a consequence. Give a consequence. It would like, or or she would be like random, like consequence too, like it would just be random like that. It was like like I couldn't even focus on the objective. And I remember the next day, I sent the email and I was like, "Hi, thank you so much for wanting me to pilot this program, but I would not be participating in it anymore." Period. You know me, sis. I don't give a damn. And I and I was just like, I'm not doing this. So they called me in, in the office. They like cursed me out, like in like the most professional charter school way. And they're like, How dare you tell us that you're not going to do our behavior management program? Um, like we're trying to make you a better teacher. You're you're like you're already great, but this could be great for our school. And I was like, our, I was like, my kids are traumatized. I was like, I am giving them consequences for things that I would never give them consequences for in the name of behavior management. Are you kidding me? I said them moving and sitting how they want to has nothing to do with like their learning. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, so it, it just, at all. It, I don't know. It makes me so emotional. Cause I was just like, I went home crying that day, not because I was so angry that like this thing happened and like they forced me to do it again or they were going to like fire yeah. me and I was like, okay, I need this check. So what I ended up having to do was like prepare my students for the time that this woman came in with the walkie talkie. And I was just like, all right, kids, she's going to uh-huh. come in, do what you're supposed to do. If I have to give you a consequence, it doesn't count. Um, and like, you know, I was just like, and she's trash. And I, and like, you know, and I just wanted them to know, like, you know, yeah, I was just like so overwhelmed. So like, what was happening? When you think about routines and procedures and rules and behavior management, like what is the true purpose of all of that? Like, what do you, what are you attempting to teach students? What do you value about them? And how does that then in turn play out in like these rules and, and procedures? And even if you're not a teacher, you know, and you're a big brother or you are a, you know, a cousin. Hey, cuz, right? It's, it's, it's like, what do you tell your, like, your kids about <laughs> behaving and behavior? And, like, you know, what does that then say about the things that, that you know, that we value? I think um, a lot of the things that happen if teachers stopped and thought, would I want this done to my child or a, a child I care about? Like, it wouldn't happen. But we don't ever go through that thought process right it's just it's it's happening right here right now but like the things I see there's a huge charter network in Houston that has expanded nationwide um and some of the things that I hear from 
families who send their children to those schools, it's like the same thing. The the immediate consequences for small things that have no impact on anyone. It's just like if that teacher stopped and thought, would I punish my child for this at home? Like so much of the little things that we waste time on would not happen in schools. But then too, thinking about what you believe about so the children I think you're teaching. Then so many people have questions like, well, what do you think about consequences or how do you handle, you know, giving students consequences? Like, should that, you know, like, what do you do? Because so much of, of behavior management is about consequence, right? And, and it's about using that consequence to consequence, then yeah. influence others to do the quote unquote right thing. So I'm curious to know, um, like, what is your view on <laughs> consequences? I think consequences consequences should always be natural and logical, right? So if you act acted up during stations or you didn't do your work, that doesn't mean you lose recess. <laughs> or a five, six-year-old. Okay, I'm at the fool right now. When we go out to recess, I don't know why I'm sitting out. That happened 30, 40 minutes ago. Why didn't you address it then? Why mm. am I losing my right to play? Um, and that's something we turn to so naturally. It's, it's the easiest thing to do. Um, but for me, like when a child doesn't complete their station work, we have free choice time in the afternoon um, where they're able to go to any of the centers or they're able to do like art or um, like it's it's basically it's free choice. During that time, I ask them to go back and finish whatever it was that I needed them to do. And a lot of times you only have to do it once or twice before they realize, oh, hold up, like I don't get to go play. So it's not that you are losing something that you have the right to, I guess. Like free choice can be taken away in my class. Like I, I have no problem with taking away free choice because a lot of the things I do and try to do are play-based and are hands-on. So 15 extra minutes at the end of the day because you played earlier, I'm okay with that. So that's typically what I turn to. I, I don't ever take away recess anymore. My first year I did because everyone else on my on my team did. Um, but I, I don't I don't agree with that. Why are you taking that away from a five year old? So yeah. <laughs> I'm with you, you on the whole logical thing. I think that um for me, I try to make them as swift as possible and, and in the moment as possible. So Yeah. If you here's an extreme, if you like tear down my bulletin board, right? <laughs> Which has happened, right? You gonna put that sucker back yeah. up. You know, I'm not gonna take away your recess because you, you know, like uh took uh took my bulletin board down. Um or if a student, you know, has called another student a, a name or um has offended another student or been mean to another student that to me one does not be, have anything to do with behavior management that's one but two like that yeah. to me is all about re like relationships um and relationship building um and therefore like okay well you guys need to figure out how you're going to repair this relationship um I, I have so many cute first grade moments when this happened 
um, where a student like <laughs> uh, continuously stepped on the back of another student's shoe, which is a huge thing in with for black people, right? It's like don't step on the back of my yep. shoe, especially these crispy Air Force ones. Like, are you, are you kidding me? And we had a community meeting of, about it because the student was so pissed, and he told him like, I can't believe you keep doing this. And so, um, you know, we had created a norm in our class where the student was like, well, what can I do to, you know, kind of help our relationship (laughs) move forward in addition to apologize? And so they end up working it out where they walk next to each other in the line. Right, you know, he's like, well, "Can I just walk, <laughs> Look at that can I walk next to you?" Then I say, like, "Yes, absolutely. That's so great." Or when a student was being really rude to another student because they had a bad day, she she was like, "Um, do you mind if I like carry your lunch box to lunch?" And you know, you know, it's like little small like gestures that I think They're like so that cute. they were like, "Well." if I can do this and maybe that, you know, like I can repair the relationship and work to show you that I'm actually doing things. And uh-huh. like, I like that kind of culture. Um, fifth grade was a little bit different. I think that we like, you know, realized in fifth grade, in, you know, from that, not everybody's going to be the, the closest of friends, which is fine too. Um, and then for consequences, yeah. like there are some things where, you know, you just look at them a certain kind of way and, like, they know, like, I'm going to straighten up. But the whole purpose for me is, like, we, we, we're, we're going to keep the class um, moving. And, yeah, like, I, th- I think that that's really important. But it also comes back to me to engagement, right? So, like, students should want to be in your yeah, class. That's true. And, like, students shouldn't have the behavior system that you have, whether it's you know, restorative justice or classroom meetings, whether it's like the very flawed class dojo or whether it's like the extremely oppressive behavior charts or whatever it is that you use. Like if students have that joint figured out to to the fact that they're manipulating it because they don't want to be in your class. And I think that that, that also like speaks to a bigger issue. I think um, how you were talking about how like their interactions with each other. It's so fun to teach that in early elementary because they're still like developmentally, they're still very egocentric and they don't always, <laughs> they are. They don't always pick up on the body language of others right. or that their words and actions may have hurt someone because they were focused on what they were interested in at the time. And so it's really, it's fun to to teach them to use I statements um, and a lot of, situations that I had like towards the end of the school year as they're developing and becoming more outspoken um we would have to pull to the side and have those conversations well how did you feel when so and so did this I felt blank when xyz happened and seeing the other child realize that their actions had had an impact on someone else and then having the child who was affected saying like well in order to feel better I need this in order to move forward, I need this versus, you know, just clipping down and not addressing what happened to both of those children. Because then it like kind of erodes the trust between the two and then the trust in the mm. classroom environment and that the teacher will do something when I feel slighted. Is behavior management really that important?
Man, that's a good question. I don't know. I feel like I don't do a lot of it. Because if you were to walk in and ask what my I behavior management plan is. I articulate it. I, I, I really could I not articulate tell you. it. I really couldn't. I couldn't. Like, I don't have a name for it. I, I don't. I just treat children as individuals and help them to learn how their actions impact others and how to share how they would like to be treated. I don't know. I remember at the beginning of the year, I had a parent ask what my behavior management plan was and what would happen like if their color changed. And I said, like, I, I don't have colors. Like, Uh-oh. it's my job to teach your child how to navigate this. Like, we'll work together to learn what what to do. Did it stress her out? No, surprisingly. She was like, that makes a lot of sense because there's no reason to be tracking behavior on a five-year-old like that. First of all, who has the time? I don't. And so I remember this time last year, we were as a team, like trying to decide what the behavior management system was going to be. And I remember almost being in tears at the thought that I would have to use like a color chart. Um, And so last year, my kids, we had this citizenship calendar, but my kids just colored it whatever color they wanted. And if I had um, something that needed to be said, like I would just call home because things get mis misconstrued over messages, over text, over email. So like me calling and sharing what happened with your child immediately. I don't know. It's, I prefer that versus like a point on dojo or a letter on the conduct chart. It it seems impersonal. I know that there are people who have, you know, slid into my DMs or mentioned me on Twitter or have had thoughts about this idea of like, well, what do you do when you like when a kid is completely out of control or what do you do when there's like a crisis in a classroom? Because that does happen, right? Like I've been in classrooms where chairs have been thrown or, you know, fights breaking oh, yeah. out right uh-huh. in front of you or like being called like a bitch ass nigga, excuse my language, <laughs> by like a six year old, <laughs> right? Like like that's, that's how I felt about me in that moment, which was fine. Um, however, like to me, that doesn't have any. I don't know if behavior management is the cause of all that, though. No, it's not. There's something else. Like, children bring in their full selves. I'm just saying. So, like, if you have a fight in your classroom or you have, like, um, you know, a child is doing something egregious, like, and a principal comes to you and they say, oh, it's because your classroom management is not tight or it's not together or you're getting marked down on like a teacher evaluation because of an egregious behavior. Like, I'm not sure if classroom management is the appropriate, like... Thing to be focusing on. I'm not sure it's that. I, it really brings me back to Love and Logic. Yeah. Um, which was written by... Who was who wrote Love and Logic? Some women. Jim Faye. And David Funk, they wrote Teaching with Love and Logic. I, I, I love that book as well. But it just makes so much sense. Um, I think when it comes to crisis um, intervention, like we got to be willing to kind of, one, take ourselves out of that and look kind of macro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, 
and being able to identify those mm-hmm. triggers and the origin of those triggers and like kind of understand yeah. <laughs> like what's really going on. Yeah, like there are a lot like of things that are happening. Like um despite yeah. children being in school for eight hours a day, sometimes even more they they still go home and like things still happen things there happen outside that cause them to be in a, a certain mood or cause them to learn a particular behavior. But I'm not sure that that has a lot to do with classroom management. Like, I think that that stuff is going to happen regardless and you teach them how to navigate through it. Like you said. Yeah, I would agree with that. Hmm. So if you would have like one or two, like tips that you would give to a teacher regarding this thing, behavior management or classroom management or whatever, like what would you give them? Or what what would you tell them? Something it took me a long time to learn, what I felt was a long time, was um, affirming what a child felt when they'd been slighted. So like you don't see the entire situation happen all the time. And you don't know which side of the story you're getting first. And so when two children come up to you and say, well, so-and-so did X, Y, Z, like it changed my classroom to say, I believe you. Can we figure out like what else also happened? And so those three words like completely changed the rest of the interaction instead of the typical like, stop, hold on, like you hit who and like just coming to your own conclusions without allowing the child to give as much information as they can. So I think affirming what a child says, even, you know, even if it may not be true in your eyes, like if that child feels like they've been slighted or hurt, like that's what they feel. And for you to completely ignore that, I don't know, it changes things. So affirming a child's um, beliefs and feelings and then, it sounds easier said than done. Not being afraid to give up control. <laughs> sounds so easy. Um, but it, it makes all the difference. Yep. Yep. All the Absolutely. Difference. So yeah, those are my two tips. What would you say? I think going off of that, I, I would say not everything needs a procedure. Um, allow things to be natural. Because when you create a, a, a procedure, you're creating an opportunity for failure, like, every time. <laughs> um, this year, this previous or this past year, I didn't have a procedure for pencils. Like, I allow students to use their common sense for pencils. When your pencils broke, they got mm-hmm. up, they got a pencil, and they came and sat back down, right? And those students to take the long way back or those students who you know did something different like we handled that as a class but I didn't feel the need to spend 20 30 45 minutes teaching students how to get up and and get a pencil not everything needs a procedure so that would be my first one I think my last one would be remember that you are a classroom community and so every procedure, every rule, every agreement that you create for your classroom has to be done together. Um, I think it's okay for teachers to brainstorm ideas. I don't think it's okay for teachers to present those ideas to students. I think that it should be done collectively. Um, and everybody is held accountable for for that. Like, 
um, it's not the teacher's responsibility to hold students accountable only. It's students' um, responsibility to hold each other accountable. Oh, and it's wow. also the student's responsibility to hold the teacher accountable for everything. My like, kids did that last it, year. It, <laughs> yes. Oh, really? Um, you did it X, Y, Z. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, my children never had, especially my fifth and sixth graders. Oh my goodness, they never had a an an issue checking me on nothing. Um, so, and sometimes I needed it. Like I would, right? I would legit forget whatever. Oh, okay. Thank you. I'm sorry. Yes, and in a sense, right? It 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 humanizes you as a teacher. Um, because I'll say it yeah. again: like teachers are human beings. And we don't want to be put in a space where we're seen as like this ultra ultra authoritative figure who knows all things. Like, no, I'm I'm actually a human being like you. And when I signed up to be a teacher, I signed up to be a lifelong learner. And because I'm a lifelong learner like you are, I'm going to then learn alongside you. Yeah. So I think ultimately, like, you know, behavior management, classroom management is an ongoing conversation. I don't necessarily know if we like, you know, told you guys concretely what we needed you to know, but hopefully you took away some things um, that you can, you know, think about as you get ready for the new school year, or if you've already started that you can continue to think about, because you should constantly be reflecting on your rules, agreements, because yes. things change, people change, kids change, teachers change. Like, we go to that new PD, we want to try something new, right? So, uh, you know, continue to think about this. And anything else you want to add before we take a break? No, I think I think we're good for a break. All right, we'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. And we're back. Hey, guys. Um, if you have any questions for us that you'd like us to answer, you can email them to us at commonsensepod at gmail.com. Or if you're feeling fancy, we have a website that you can submit your questions to, um, commonsensepod.com. Uh, you ready, Patrick? I think we have some questions to answer today. Yes, we have two questions. Okay. Uh, The first question is, Dear Antonia and Patrick, hi. Hi. I'm going to my first year of teaching here in Missouri, and I want to know how much of myself I should share with parents. I don't want parents all in my business, but I feel like I should get to know them. How much is too much? Oh, man. Um, I feel like that's an easy one. When you feel uncomfortable, it's too much. Mm. So... For me, I didn't really say anything about my personal life um, until the end of the year when it started coming up in my summer plans. And by then, like I was okay with it. But at the beginning of the year, I didn't really share my role was kind of if they ask and I feel comfortable, I'll tell. But I'm not just freely offering information. Even at like back to school night? Or like meet the teacher? Like I share generic stuff like. I enjoy traveling. I like reading, like stuff like that. But I didn't share anything about like my family. Because for me, my family right now, I guess, is just my boyfriend um, mm-hmm. and like family, family. But yeah, that I didn't I didn't include that information. So, yeah. Hmm. What about you? What do you think? I think this is interesting. Um, I'm not really sure where the line is. I think it's different for... Um, 
each class and sometimes each parent, I think you have to be careful um, of not to cross the line. And so, like, I think for you, Antonia, you're like, I ain't sharing nothing with none of y'all asses. <laughs> and I'm going to keep y'all in this <laughs> over here. Which, which I think is fine. But, but I think, like, for me, like, I have shared some parts of who I am with some parents and it's worked out well with, with our relationship. I think what I try to do is um, I try to make connections with parents. And so if they say something to me, um, then they might, uh, um, or that I might have a connection with, then I'll like share that, like that, that piece of me. But I'm not sure where the line is. Um, there are a couple things that I stay away from. I definitely stay away from like dating. Um, <laughs> it's a little complicated. Um, and then I stay away from like religion and church and like those viewpoints that I have. Um, but I but I always share about my family and things that I think everybody knows. You know, some things that yeah. I've been through. If it's generic, right? I don't feel any type of way about sharing it. But personal things, I feel like it's just none of your business unless we form a relationship outside of school, which is highly unlikely. Do you ever talk to parents about like drinking or like partying or things like that? Especially as a young teacher? No, I don't. No, uh uh-uh. I had one parent that I, I became very close to and she would like joke here and there and I would just kind of do like the nervous laughter <laughs> and affirm like yes, agreeing with the joke, but that yes. was <laughs> <laughs> Because my thing is you don't know what parents are going to say to other parents. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just kind of err or prefer to stay on the safe side where you can't say you know anything about what I do outside of school. I might generally mention that I'm going to a happy hour or something like that to a parent, but I don't mention that I'm like, you know, drinking Hennessy on the rocks or something like that. that <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I think like, I think you get great advice in terms of whatever you, feels comfortable to you. If it feels uncomfortable, then maybe you want to follow your gut on that. Um, remember the things that you tell children, they'll also tell their parents. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That whole, how was school yeah. today? That really goes a long way sometimes. So. Yeah, be careful with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but again, like parents want to know who you are. They want to know who's teaching their child. And so give them enough to the fact um, that they feel comfortable enough um, being able to talk and converse with you and collaborate with you in a natural way. So I, I guess I just think of it as someone who I may run into that I'm just casual with or like an acquaintance with. You don't share everything, but you share enough to like have a conversation that doesn't feel forced. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, Our next question is, hello. I have a younger brother in elementary school and I am currently in college. I'm wondering how I can be a better support system to him this year since we do not live in the same city. I normally buy him school supplies, clothes, book bags, and other things that he needs for school, but I think I can do more. What more can I do to, to support my younger brother? Do you want to go first? Go ahead. 
Um, the first thing that came to mind was FaceTiming to read together. I don't know how old the child is, but having them read out loud to you um, would be really nice because you because you can hear how they're developing and then they can see that someone is interested in them reading. And I don't know, it, it shows that reading takes place outside of school and not just for homework, right? So maybe reading together right. in the evening, sending books that you hear that you're that are related to the interests that you hear your brother talking about would be a good idea also. Yeah, I think that's all I got. What about you? I think there's like power in like the prove it method for me. So when you ask your brother, oh, hey, how was school? What'd you learn today? Oh, we learned this. Oh, prove it. What'd you do? Show me. Show me. Show me that silent E. Y'all learn silent. Oh, okay. Show me that count up method. Show me that. Long- because they're never, as a kid, get offended <laughs> when they're asked to prove it or when they're asked why. Because they're, they're never asked why in school. I love it. Like, show me that long division. Let me see it. Even if it's one or two problems, right? Get them in a, in a mood of showing you what they learn because you want to feel a connection. Um, and then, like, consistently share your experiences in elementary school with your younger brother. Like, obviously, you went through elementary school, too. So what connections are you making with the material? What What do you want to learn more about? Um, what is he learning that, that you already know? Or what is what can your, your younger brother teach you that's new? Um, but you, you, you want to extend the conversation from how was school today to the next level. <laughs> like you actually want to see what's happening in school. It's more than just how was school today. Let, let me check your folder. It's continuing the conversation um, from school to home and like giving something new that they can then bring back. It should be like, you know, sort of this back and forth um, communication happening. And then that builds, you know, up their memory because what happens is as teachers, we get so frustrated. Well, for me, because I teach something and then they go home and they forget it and then they come back. Right. And so it's like, I wonder what would happen if the, you know, outside of homework, which we can have a whole nother discussion about, but if just like casual conversations with their older brother about what they're actually learning in school, like it could be, uh, it could be really incredible. And I'm, super excited for what that would do for y'all's relationship that y'all can talk about school in a casual way, you know, that's like no pressure, just kind of chilling. Um, but you're also pushing your younger brother to do what he needs to do um, and learn the things that he needs to learn. And you can challenge him to ensure that he can be the best that he can be. But it's really important. Huh? You give such nice advice. <laughs> Oh, Did you give such nice advice? I try, but you know we need younger <laughs> brothers. Oh, I'm sorry, we need older brothers. Like we need big sisters and cousins. Like it takes a village to raise a child. Yes, it does. Like it really, truly, and honestly does. And so, big brother, we need you. So thank you so much for wanting to do more, wanting to 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 support more. Um, and we hope yeah. you continue doing it. If you have questions, where can they send them? They can send them to commonsensepod at gmail.com 
or you can send them through our website, commonsensepod.com. Thank you so much. And we look forward to reading your questions. Yes, we do. So do we have a quote this week? We do. We have two quotes from Maria Montessori. (laughs) (laughs) Preach it, girl. Preach it. In the Montessori environment, one with not fine clip charts and prize boxes. Here we go. (laughs) Wait, before you do that, I'm sure we have some people listening who are not familiar with Montessori. Can you give like a one to two sentence? I'm sorry. I know that's very like. I just. <laughs> I don't want to. Like, yeah. Uh, don't read. Just give me a one to two like description of how you would describe the Montessori school philosophy. I hope the Montessorians don't come for me after this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um I would describe it as a. A method of like an education method that places the child at the center and allows them to move at their pace as they discover more about the world. Okay. I'm here for that. I hope I did that justice. <laughs> awesome. But what are our quotes this week? Okay, so our first quote is um, prizes and punishments are ever ready and efficient aids to the master who must force into a given attitude of mind and body those who are who are condemned to be his listeners. Wow. That's heavy, right? <laughs> I know some people are like rewinding right now. <laughs> I can say it. You want me to say it again? I can say it one more time. Say it one more time for the folks okay. who skipped class <laughs> in undergrad. Go ahead. I didn't have it. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Um, Prizes and punishments are ever ready and efficient aids to the master who must force into a given attitude of mind and body those who who are condemned to be his listeners. Mm. And the second one. The prize and the punishment are incentives toward unnatural or forced effort and therefore, we certainly cannot speak of the natural development of the child in connection with them. My God, that second quote right there. Yeah. But and I mean, to put prize and master in the same sentence, even. You know what I'm saying? So when people talk about incentives for behavior, you know, these are not natural things that kids are doing because they want to do them. Yep. They're doing it because they're trying to get that class pizza party. They're doing it because they're uh, <laughs> trying to get that treasure box. They're doing it because they don't want to get on red. And, you know, like they're not doing it because it's a, it's natural. It's a natural behavior or a natural thing to do. It's not um, an intrinsic <laughs> motivation desire intrinsic desire my god but yeah well folks we want to leave you with those two quotes (laughs) and which book were you reading that from so that they can know i was reading that from the montessori method by maria montessori okay so if you want to know more about that definitely check that out um we're going to end here guys we do have one announcement um, we are hosting a book chat yes. on August 9th, 
Thursday, August 9th, Thursday, August 9th at 7.30 Eastern Time on Twitter. Um, and we're going to be breaking down the first part of Black Teachers on Teaching, part one, which is The Elders. Uh, the book was written by Michelle Foster, and she's going to be joining us on the Twitter chat. Turn up, turn up, right? So uh, we're going to really be just reflecting on the lessons and experiences of these Black educators in the book who came before us to help us guide us through the work that we're getting ready to do in the fall um, and that we're doing every single day, uh, especially for those who are not teachers, right? So please join us, get your Twitter handles ready, um, because you may have a chance to win an autographed copy of Black Teachers on Teachers, Black Teachers on Teaching by Michelle Foster herself. So we can't wait to um, talk more about that this Thursday. I'm excited. I am thrilled. So with that being said, uh, thank you guys for joining us and we'll see you next time.